dismissed. Uh, turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 14 through 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Hey, just a few things that I want to say before we look at our scripture. Next Sunday, our warehouse worship kids will be doing a special song on Sunday morning during the worship time. They'll be help, helping us lead in worship next Sunday, so I want you to be looking forward to that. Two other things that I want to emphasize. Um, if you have not filled out a workers or a, a volunteer survey, I want to encourage you to do that. You can do it online. Uh, if you haven't got a link, then we can get you that. There's also some hard copies out in the foyer. Cannot emphasize that enough. It's critical for us as a church to have all the body uh, working as it needs to. The other thing is be sure and take a budget. And I know Byron's already said that. Uh, we'll look at that in the next month. Uh, we want you not only to prayerfully consider it, uh, there's work gone into it. We would want you to approve the budget four weeks from this Sunday. But even beyond that, we want you to support it with your giving. And that's critical to, for what God wants to do uh, in our church. One final thing, uh, and then I won't have any announcements at the end. I do have something I want to, a couple things I want to pray for at the end of my sermon. Uh, but just so you will know when we finish if you have decisions to make for Christ maybe you need to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior I'm gonna be at the front at the end of the service it's not our traditional uh, invitation that we would normally have but it's what we're doing right now but I'm here and I have time to visit with you if you need to join the church if you need to fall in believers baptism if you have a, some other decision you just need somebody to pray with you then I'm gonna be at the front um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Uh, Paul says to Timothy, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Like most sections of scripture, we can only fully understand uh, those words when we understand the larger context. Um, there is a depth you can understand in looking at the scripture outside of its context, but when you understand its context, you come to a place of deeper understanding of that scripture. And I know I've said this, but this Sunday is particularly uh, significant that you would understand the context of 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 14 through 17 and it is this Paul the Apostle Paul 
has been and is discipling Timothy, a younger man. And actually, 2 Timothy is an expression of that. It is a part of it. Uh, this has gone on for 15 years when we put the dates uh, according to the book of Acts. For 15 years, Paul has discipled Timothy. That's very significant that you understand that context, not just to understand 2 Timothy, but particularly the verses that we, un that we look at uh, today. Paul has been investing in Timothy, and as I said, all this fall, 2 Timothy is extremely significant because in the midst of that process, 2 Timothy is the end. It's the last words. And so that's why I've said to you all of these weeks that I believe these words are essential because Paul has been investing in Timothy and this is, this is it. And I think there's just extreme weight to these words to understand that, that Paul is sharing from the depths of his heart those things that were essential that Timothy would know when the day comes that Paul is taken out of the way. But I want you to get the context. Paul has been discipling Timothy. This sense of discipleship uh, was something that started with Jesus. And Jesus had disciples, and most of you know this. He had 12. What did he do? He took 12 men and he invested in them. And obviously he dies on the cross. He's resurrected. He meets with them for 40 days. He ascends to the Father. Tag, you're it. And they began that process. But you understand, they uh, begin the same discipleship. I know it looks different because it's not Jesus, but we're going to get to that here in just a minute. No, it's the same process that the men who have been taught or the women who have been taught invest in those and other people so that there becomes this chain that links all the way to today. And I've kind of, uh, I've, I've really camped out on this, but it is the context of 2 Timothy, and it's captured best in 2 Timothy 2.2, which when we came to that, I just kind of went, whoop. Well, that was a, that was a weak whoop. <clears throat> I don't know. I don't have my higher range this morning somehow. Maybe my voice is changing, Daniel, or I don't know. Maybe, <clears throat> after all these years. 2 Timothy 2.2. And the things that you have heard from me, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Huge verse. Uh, because it gives us the larger context to the relationship between Timothy, uh, between Paul and Timothy, and it sets the pattern for what we are to be about. And the things that you have learned from me Paul tells Timothy, commit these to faithful men who in turn will be able to pass it on down to others. That is the process, that is the plan of discipleship that started with Jesus and is to go into the church 
today. Now, here's my point this morning. The scriptures for us today, the 66 books of the Bible, the scriptures are essential to that process of discipleship. Now, that may not seem to be an earth-shattering statement, but it has huge ramifications. Uh, when we talk about essentials, life truths that matter, we come to today, 2 Timothy 3, 14-17, and our essential is this, living in the Scriptures. I'm telling you today what Paul was communicating to Timothy before he left is that the Scriptures have to be at the core of the discipleship relationship and process. Not only is it the core, this is a point I want to come back to, it is the constant that supersedes experiences, personalities, whatever. The scriptures are the essentials in discipleship. They are to be at the very core of what we do in passing our faith down to those that come behind us. And the scriptures are to be the constant, our anchor, we might say. Now, when I read verses 14 through 17, I first realize that what Paul describes here comes from his own story first. And I want you just to get this. Just to let you know where my brain is today, there's a key word or phrase in each of the four verses. And in verse 14, it is the word continue. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. Verse 15, it is the word childhood. These are underlined in my Bible. Do y'all believe in underlining in your Bible? So I'm, not, I'm not advocating for it. I, I, that's just, I don't know why I just said that. I, I don't know. I, I underline. Um, verse 16. Some, I, I'm, okay, I can't go there. Verse 16, it is the word scripture. In verse 17, it's the word or the phrase man of God. Now, I, I, I kind of have to distill things down to simple thoughts for me. And I believe that Paul first is relating his own story, even though he's talking to Timothy, I think in his mind, in verse 15, he said, no, from childhood, I was taught the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make me wise unto salvation. And that would have been true. I mean, Paul is a... He's a straight-line Pharisee when he gets to be a man. You know it. He was raised in a home where his mama and particularly his daddy were teaching him the Old Testament. No, he was raised from childhood to know the Scriptures. But when he came to faith in Christ, which he alludes to then in verse 15, he comes to verse 16 that all Scripture is given by the inspirational, inspiration of God I believe in Paul's mind he has walked this path, this journey, that when he took the Scripture, and I don't, man, I don't have time for this this morning, but I couldn't get past this point. I'm sorry, this is a little over here. This is the squirrel. The squirrel. Did y'all see it? 
No, it was in my mind. Um, I'm thinking, wait a second. Jesus discipled 12 who went on to disciples others. And then you get this odd uh, person, Saul of Tarsus, who doesn't actually fit the pattern. And I thought about that. I don't have time to talk about it much this morning. But he encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus. It's not like somebody comes and preaches to Paul and says, you need to Saul of Tarsus and repent of your sins and believe in Jesus. No, Jesus is just like, dude, you're so hard-headed. I'm just going to add a boop appear to you personally in a bright light because you're a, you're a piece of work, quite honestly. He has this encounter with Jesus. And, and, and if you read the first chapter, and I think into the second chapter of Galatians, it's like, wait a second. Sorry, it's one of those Sundays, I think. Um, sorry. It's like, who discipled Saul of Tarsus? Uh, man, his, his case is just different. What he says in Galatians is that he went into the desert. And actually, I, I think it, and so I don't think there was a person. In fact, he said, I did not confer with flesh and blood about the gospel that Jesus had revealed to me. Okay, Paul's, man, it's just something different. His discipleship was different than anybody else's. And I think it actually, it reinforces the point I'm making this morning. I believe in the desert Paul went back to the scriptures that he had learned from childhood. And the Holy Spirit taught him the gospel that he emerges from the desert to preach. So he doesn't really fit the scenario that most... But I believe what God did in that time in the desert is described in verse 16. I believe this is almost biographical, autobiographical for Paul when he said, what I found was that the scripture was profitable in my life for doctrine, for reproof, for correction for instruction in righteousness so that when I emerged from then, what was it? I was a man of God, complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I believe when Paul passes through these verses 14 through 17, it is a statement of his story of his own discipleship of how he went from childhood to manhood fully equipped for what God had called him to do and, and here's the point and then we're gonna look at our verses you only get from childhood to manhood verse 15 to 17 when you pass through verse 16 through the scriptures the only way to get from childhood, verse 15, to manhood in verse 17 is to pass through the scriptures. In verse 14, uh, he's already used this phrase, but he says, but you. There's a contrast to that, but, in contrast to the other people that he's talked about previously in his letter, but there's also emphasis, but you yourself is the force of the original language. And then the big word 
verse 14 for me is the word continue. Uh, last week we talked about perseverance was hupomino, uh, I know you know, which is means to remain under, hupo being under and mino remain. This is the word mino. When he says continue, it is the word that he's already used, but it's, it doesn't have the, the preposition before it. And he says continue, remain. In fact, it's, it's present tense, which means continuous action. So he says, but you yourselves be continuing in what he's going to say ultimately in the scriptures. This word remaining means, I mean, continuing is also translated to remain, to stay, or as is translated in John 15, means to abide. It's all captured in that. And so in uh, John 15, when he talks about uh, the vine and the branches, he says, abide in me. It's me, no. It's, it's stay, remain uh, in me. Uh, I, I like that word abide in English to capture what Paul is teaching to Timothy here. Continue, remain, stay, abide. Abide in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Um, verse 15, childhood. So when he's relating... I think in the back of his mind, his story, Timothy's story, he said, no, Timothy's, your story is much like mine, that because from childhood you were taught the Holy Scriptures. And, and many of us in this room would have had the same blessing in our life that we were taught ever since we were small, the Holy Scriptures. And it was for sure true in Timothy's life, we know this, and we see from chapter 1, his mother and his grandmother preceded him in the faith. And even though his father was a Greek, his mother was a Jew, and she would have taught him the Holy Scriptures. I think it was a part of Paul's story, it's a part of Timothy's story, that his mother would have done what any good Jewish mother or father would have done. They would have taught them the Old Testament scriptures, which prepared them for salvation, which is the starting point of our walk, our discipleship with Christ. Let me just take another pause right here. Parents. Grandparents, we have a responsibility like the Jews do to this day to teach our kids the scriptures. In fact, I think there's three things if I just have to take a little bit of a pause here. Get your kids in church, <laughs> number one. I'm sorry, I don't I don't know why I'm laughing at that. Because I was drugged to church when I was a kid. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I had mean parents. They made us go to church. We never got up a Sunday morning and said, we going to church this Sunday? I'm sorry. I'm getting off. Go to church. Your kids, go to, take them to church. Pray with them and teach them to pray. Teach them to pray Pray over them. I've had the privilege. I don't even know where Byron is anymore. I think he left. He's had the kids, and Madison's been gone, and I had the privilege of putting the kids to bed a couple times recently. His kids thought, man, no, here we go. No, Papa D's going to kneel beside your bed, and I'm just going to pray over you, child. 
because some of y'all really need Jesus. Your, I've been talking to your mom and your daddy, Papa D, about to come down in prayer on you and hoping it's working. Uh, pray with your kids, but teach your kids the scriptures. The Jews did it. What does it do? It says, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. It prepares that child to come to the place where they understand the gospel so that God can take that head knowledge and penetrate their heart into heart knowledge so that when the Holy Spirit pricks them, they know that it is their time and they give their life to Christ. Um, salvation is only the start of our walk with Christ. And so that's the reason we go to verse 16. It has to pass through the scriptures. All scripture. <laughs> the interesting thing is technically that would mean the, the 39 books of the Old Testament for Paul, that's the only scripture they had but the interesting thing is as Paul writes all scripture his writing becomes scripture I don't know, that's just, maybe that's just humorous to me no, he's writing scriptures, he's talking about scripture and all of a sudden you take the 39 books of the Old Testament and then under the inspiration of the, the Spirit in the first century, the apostles then also uh, write 27 more books. Paul writes 13 of those, 2 Timothy being the last chronologically. Uh, all Scripture. Um, not some of the Scripture, all the Scripture. We are to let all the Scripture take its full effect in our lives. It is the fullness of God's written revelation. Uh, and then that phrase given by inspiration of God is literally a word. It's one word in the Greek and it, it's the word theos which means God and then uh, pneumos uh, which means spirit, uh, pneuma, spirit, wind, uh, or breath. And it's, just, it's a combo word. And it means God breathed. We translate it into English is that the Holy Scripture is inspired, but literally the word says God breathed. Uh, the Scripture is inspired of God. It is, not, it is not a man who finds it. It's not a book that finds its source in man, but in God. So in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 no prophecy came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as the Holy Spirit led them. Oh, well that, I think I, I got that a little messed up, but anyhow, that's the gist of it. Y'all check me on that. 2 Peter 1.21. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Uh, we can say that the Scripture is inspired the sense is that it is God-breathed, that it originates from God. I get the picture of Adam in the garden, and God makes him, and then God breathes into him, and it says he became a living being. I want you to know that of all the books that have ever been written, this has been infused with the breath 
are the Spirit of God. There is life in God's holy word. That's, that's what Paul says. Of all the things that you could read, Timothy, there is one book, and this is what I love, that not only God breathes into, but God breathes out of. When I come to this book with a sincere and searching heart, God breathes his life out of it into me. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It originates with God. It is infused with life. It is profitable. This is what it's good for. And he lists four things. Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction. Boy, if, if there was just meat to what I'm going to say today, it's these four words that are the meat of it. What is God's word supposed to do in our life? It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. In the discipleship process, yes, verse 15, from childhood we learn the Holy Scriptures which are able to make us wise into salvation. And many of us were blessed as children to be taught and to come to the place of faith in our life where we chose Christ. But from that point on, to become a man or a woman of God, we have to pass through the Scriptures. The Scriptures have to do their work in our life. What is, what is the work that the Scripture does in our life? Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction. The only way to get to verse 17 is to pass through the Scriptures and to let the Scriptures do God's work in our life. And let me, let me just say, it takes work. It takes effort, diligence. There's no way around it. But the only way to come out to verse 17 to be the man of God is to pass through the scriptures in verse 16. He says it's good for doctrine, which is a word that means literally teaching. It's precepts, it's truths that the scriptures teach. Oh, I don't know, there's so many of these in the scripture. The first verse in the Bible, Genesis 1-1. Truth, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It's just truth. It's a precept. God says it's true. Uh, New Testament, Romans 3-23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Bank on it, truth. It's doctrine. It's teaching. We have to deal with it. You know why we have to deal with it? Because our minds can become confused by the lies of Satan. We have to replace it with the truth. The only way to pass from childhood to adulthood is first to deal with what is true. Doctrine, teaching. But also the scripture is profitable for reproof, which means refuting error, rebuking sin. Ah, Exodus 20. We covered that in life groups recently. Uh, hmm. there's some things you shouldn't do murder hmm. adultery stealing bearing false witness coveting no-nos okay there's there's a bunch more quite honestly i'm just skimming the surface right now um 
the scripture tells us, reproves us, rebukes us, says, no, that's wrong. Like a, like a parent that says to a child, no, you, you can't do that. Um, if, if I did New Testament, Ephesians 5, 18, do not be drunk with wine. That's what the scripture says. It's a no-no. It's wrong. So part of what the scripture is and part of the process of discipleship is not only doctrine, learning what is truth, but also being, having error or sin rebuked or refuted in our life. The second is correction. The third is correction, which is a positive component to reproof, which is the negative side of that. God says that's no. Well, what if I do that? How do I, how am I restored? How am I set right? I've been, literally, the, the picture is being knocked down. Correction is, how, do I, how am I stood back up? Correction. So Ephesians, many times we find these as uh, couples, in, uh, coupled together with reproof in the New Testament. So Ephesians 5.18 says, And do not be drunk with wine, negative, positive, but be filled with the Spirit. I don't know why I'm making noises this morning. Whew, I don't even know where that came from. Uh, Matthew 6, 19 and 20, negative, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where rust corrodes, moths eat, and thieves break in and steal. Positive, correction, uh, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> do not invest... I'm off. But store, it's the word store. I'm sorry, somebody, was that Amy? Thank you. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths do not eat, um, thieves do not break in and steal, and rust does not corrode. So there's kind of a, a negative, and then there's a positive. The fourth one is instruction in righteousness, which is training, uh, coaching. The scripture coaches us, not only gives us truth, doctrine, not only corrects us, reproves us, not only corrects us and tells us how to, to live right, but it also just coaches us in life. And so Ephesians 6 says, one of Patsy's favorite scriptures, put on the full armor of God. That's just coaching. It's like, man, you're going to start your day, Patsy, put it on. You know, be ready for your day because it's going to be a battle out there. First um, Thessalonians 5.17, In all things give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Um, these four aspects of scripture describe the process of discipleship you must pass through the scriptures to grow and to be mature in the faith there's no substitute for it in verse 17 uh, the end result that the man of God and he's talking about Timothy but anyone else, or the woman of God, the man of God may be complete. That word complete is a word that means fit, capable, fully qualified. And then he kind of doubles down on that. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. That word thoroughly equipped 
is a word that means completely outfitted. Um, the only other time I know that this word equipped is used in the New Testament is Ephesians 4.12, uh, where it says, and some were called to be prophets and apostles and all that, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, Ephesians 4.12. I thought of a, a soldier here. To be complete means that you are fit. You are in shape. You have been trained for what you are going to be called to do. A thoroughly equipped means that you have been given the resources to carry out your assignment. I thought that was a great way of looking at that. That's what he's talking about. The only way you get there is to pass through the scriptures. And it goes back to verse 14, and this is my final admonition. You have to continue. You have to remain. You have to abide in the scriptures. The only way to move from childhood to manhood as a Christian is to come and abide in all the scripture, which is God-breathed, and allow it to teach you doctrine. Allow it to reprove you. Allow it to correct you. Allow it to instruct you in righteousness. There is no other way. The implication of what Paul says to Timothy is there is no other path except through the scriptures to get from childhood to manhood. Scripture is essential in the process. It is at the very core of growing in Christ in the process of discipleship. That's why we, as a church, you haven't thought, maybe haven't thought about this a lot, when we give ourselves, not only in our life groups, what do we do? We study scripture. What do we do in, in worship time? We worship, but also we look to the scriptures. What do the scriptures say? When we have discipleship groups, they focus on scripture. Scripture is essential. It is at the very core. There's one other little side I have to say. To say that Scripture is at the core is to say that even though experience is a component to discipleship, experience cannot be at the core of discipleship. It must be the Scripture. And this is why. Because Scripture must be the constant. This is actually in the larger context of what Paul is teaching Timothy. Timothy, I'm about to leave. And you've watched me. You've had an incredible experience. You've, you've studied under the big personality of the first century church, the Apostle Paul. But Timothy, it's not going to be transferable. <laughs> Nobody else is going to have that experience and that personality that is mentoring them. Then what do we do? We make the scripture, which is the written, revealed, God-breathed word of God, be the constant. Because in the chain that passes down, if it's based upon experience and personality, then woo, we don't know where we're going to end up 2,000 years later. But if it's based upon scripture, then that scripture becomes the constant that what I teach you is the same thing that Paul taught, that Timothy taught. This is the revealed word of God. 
I don't know about your experience. I don't know about the personalities, the people you've looked to. Don't look to me. You look to the scriptures because they are to be at the core and they are to be the constant. It was true for Timothy. It is true for us. And the admonition, abide, stay, remain, because you cannot get from childhood to adulthood unless you pass through the scriptures and allow the scriptures, all the scriptures, to do its work. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to pray. Uh, and I want, I want our live stream to hold on. Uh, and I'll pray. And then I'm finished. I'm, I've done my announcements. Amen? You're about to walk out of here. Um, I want to pray for our nation. I have a little anxiety in my heart as a pastor. I'm, I, I'm not supposed to have anxiety, am I? Just being honest here. I don't know what's going to happen this week. Uh, but as I said, I think last Sunday, uh, Tuesday night, God will still be on the throne. Next Sunday, God will still be on the throne. It's going to be all right if we know him. I don't know about the rest of us. Uh, hey, the other thing is we've gotten word this morning that Tasha Werner is in the hospital and has uh, symptoms of a stroke. So uh, I want to pray for Tasha this morning first, and then I want to pray for our nation. So if you would just join me in prayer today. Father, today we, we come before your throne of grace in our time of need. And Father, we come boldly in the name of Jesus today. Father, I, I first pray that we would, we would abide in your word, not only weekly, but daily. Father, that we might be the people that you've called us to be. Father, we intercede in the name of Jesus for Tasha today. and We love that family. And Father, we pray. Father, we know that you've brought them through a lot. We know they're in the midst of a lot. But Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. That, Father, your hand would be upon her life. You'd be with Mike. You would give them the kids. We pray that you'd give them peace. We pray that your healing hand would be on Tasha. And, Father, we believe that as you work, this will be another part of their story, of your grace and mercy in their lives. But, Father, we pray that you'd show up in a big way in that family. And, Father, we pray for us as a nation. Uh, and we pray that your will would be done. And that in the midst of this week in America, we, I pray for calm, I pray for peace. I pray for a nation that would turn back to you, Father. A nation that has strayed from the truth. And I pray that you would use even this, whatever it is, Father, for your glory. And we thank you that you are God alone. 
And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.